up. Can I look it up on the Google? She is, my mom is actually semi-tech savvy. I think she's all right. Like, she just doesn't, she uses, like, the, the Facebook and sometimes and, like, the... Facebook, the book of faces. Uh, hi, welcome to Mile 13. Hi. I'm Kim. She's Jackie. They're Casper. We do love our moms. Guys, I'm super hyped for this weekend. Or not this weekend. Yeah, this it's going to be a good one. I am so excited. Like, this is one of my favorite things ever. But before we get there, let's do our obligatory how's your week going. Casper has a hangover, everybody. Yeah, so I'm in great shape, guys. Um, My roommate recently just got a new job. And so last night she was like, hey, let's go out and let's celebrate. And I was like, yeah, sure. Hell yeah. Let's go out. Let's celebrate. So go to this really fun bar. And I'm like, but honey, Leslie. I have to work tomorrow. So we can't do like too crazy. I have to like at least kind of like monitor myself and make sure that like, you know, I'm okay with myself for tomorrow. Yeah, about four drinks and a shot later, I was not okay. And I woke up this morning and like immediately was just like, oh, dear God, I want to die. Like, I just want to die now. But I was a champ and I went to work anyways. Um... And it sucked, Proud but I did it. And here we are. You look really good. All right, so are you ready to get started? I don't want to talk about it. Uh, oh. Steve's out of town. Got it. So I'm lonely. And I've been... Uh, so if you don't know me, uh, I don't cook. Period. End of story. Same. Same. Ever. Steve does. Steve's a great cook. But when Steve is gone, I I don't I I need an adult at all times. But 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 I do I I have a rule that I don't eat at chain restaurants like ever in, unless it's an emergency. Huh. So I only eat local food. So I do not have that rule. Once hot season starts, I will literally survive on chicken nuggets alone. <laughs> I'm pretty much on a f- first name basis with the staff at Lucky's now. I've never been there. Oh, you're missing oh, out. Oh yeah, I walked into uh, Noodles and Company the other day, and the people behind the like behind the counter literally just went, "Oh hey, Casper, do you want the usual?" Yeah, that's and I was that's like, "That's us at Winans. Yes. Every Saturday morning, we go to Winans and we take Rupert, and they always like they let Rupert come in to the to the coffee shop." And I don't like to take him in there because in the summertime, he's shedding and gross. And, like, I don't want him to shed all over everything. But they love to have Rupert come in. And they always give him dog treats. And (laughs) they know us by name. And they know what we order. Like, we don't have to order. So I've been to Lucky's a lot this week because Lucky's has the best burgers in Dayton. There I said it. Uh, I recommend if you are local, go to Lucky's and get the, the Model T, which is basically the classic burger cheese lettuce tomato onion it's good yummy i also like the pinto so uh the nook has come to mostly an end sort sort of an end um so last we do this thing that's really cute i think it's really cute called the slide ceremony where anytime a kid leaves the nook they we have a like a playground outside and they climb up um, and like at the top of the playground, there's like a, I don't know, what would you call it? Like a clubhouse kind of a thing. And, and then there's two slides that go down. So anytime a kid leaves the nook, we have a ceremony for them where they get to climb up the ladder to, to the top of the clubhouse and they get to paint their hand and they leave their handprint on the inside of the clubhouse. And then they slide, down the slide into like whatever's next for their lives. Um, and when a kid goes to kindergarten, we make a really big deal about it. Um, not only do they get to do the slide ceremony, but like I read, um, like I'll read a, last year I read a poem. This year I read a book called, um, Stand Tall Molly Lou Melon, which if you're not familiar with, if you have kids in your life, you definitely need to check out Stand Tall Molly Lou Melon. And then, um, we have a mural on the inside of the, on the, in, in the house with, um, Llama Llama and Mo Willems Pigeon, who is my favorite character of all time, and Pete the Cat. <laughs> and so when a kid gets to go to kindergarten, not only do they leave their handprint on the wall, but or on the playhouse wall, but they also leave their handprint on the mural wall. 
uh, with their year and, and all that. So, uh, so we had our last ever slide ceremony on Friday and I didn't cry. Like I wasn't emotional at all, Oh, that's impressive. which to me tells me that like, yes, it's time for me to shut things down and move on to the next thing. But so we, uh, we only had one kindergartner this year, Josie. So we only have one handprint on the wall, but, um, so we did our slide ceremony and then we had cake and pizza and, um, everybody went home and I went to Lucky's, (laughs) 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 um, with my friend Karen and her daughter, Chrislyn, who I love dearly. Uh, and so now, uh, kind of until the end of the month, I have um, basically my the, my grandkids, the four, four of my grandkids, and uh, one little school-age girl whose last day is tomorrow, and then I have a little boy who I am really going to be sorry to see him go, Dash. I love him with all of my heart. Um <laughs> But he's staying until the end of the month because he's getting a little brother tomorrow. Ah. So uh, we <laughs> it was kind of weird because whatever day that was, the day before yesterday, we had 11 kids. I had 11 kids by myself. And then they went back to school, and I went from 11 to 6, and now I'm down to 5-ish. So it yesterday was real boring. So now I can take them and go do stuff. We went to the like the children's museum today, Boonchocked. Uh, we can go to Fun. the playground and the fountains and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, should we talk about spooky stuff? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm super hype about this week's episode. Uh, before we begin, I would like to say that we are going to attempt to feature a song uh, by a band called Strange Creatures, um, who I have a very special fondness for. Um, uh, their song called The Ballad of Mac Brazel, uh, which we're hoping to feature. We're going to see if we can get all the technology to work correctly. We're, we're going to try it. So, um, if you hear, if we do get the music up and you hear it, the band is, again, is called Strange Creatures. Um, you can find them on all of the things. Uh, it's off of their first album, um, and it's really, really good, and I kind of love it. At the 509th Atomic Bomb Group headquarters at Rockwell, New Mexico, reports that it has received one of the discs which landed on a ranch outside Rockwell. The disc landed at a ranch at Corona, New Mexico, and the rancher turned it over to the Air Force. Rancher W.W. Brizel was the man who discovered the software. Colonel William Blanchard of the Rockwell Air Base refuses to give details of what the flying disc looks like. In Fort Worth, Texas, where the object was first sent, Brigadier General Roger Ramey says that it is being shipped by air to the AAF Research Center at Rice Field, Ohio. A few moments ago, I talked to officials at Rice Field, and they declared that they expect the so-called flying shoppers
talking about Air Force pilots. We're talking about governors of states that claim that, hey, this is beyond our understanding of the laws of physics. Can I have an unidentified flying object that is not necessarily from some other place? It's possible, but we've looked at all the alternatives. Uh, these are multiple sightings by multiple modes. In other words, pilots, eyewitnesses, radar, visual sightings. These are very hard to dismiss, the, the handful of sightings. Uh, one over Alaska, another over Belgium, another over Iran. The handful of things that still cannot be explained defy known laws of physics. Do you guys know who Mac Rizell is? No. Oh, you guys are going to learn today. We always learn. Learning is fun. So <laughs> we referenced, we actually referenced this episode a couple episodes ago, and we said that it was going to be the next episode, and then we, and then we did Marietta for the next episode. See, funny things happen when chain, like plans get changed and schedules right, get moved fine. around because somebody doesn't have Wi-Fi. I everybody just like bearing with us and just going with the flow. Uh, so I really, 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 really wanted to do this episode because it's timely because what happens on September 20th? We all invade Area 51. Exactly. Yeah. So today we are going to talk about Roswell, New Mexico. Woo! Things that happened there. But if we're going to talk about aliens, we have to talk about Roswell. This is true. It's in the rules. It's law. It, I mean, it really Alien is. Alien law. First of all, Roswell is the fifth largest city in New Mexico now. Um, the first settlers came from Missouri in 1865. Um, there was a guy by the name of John Chisholm, and he founded a place called Jingle Bob Ranch, which I love. I love that I love so it. much. Yeah, Jingle Bob Ranch. Jingle Bob Ranch. At one time, it was it was about so it was about five miles from what would become the city center of Roswell, and it was it was the largest ranch in America. At one time. Yeah. Uh, so in 1869, a couple of guys named Van Smith and Aaron Wilburn built the first two buildings in what would later become the town named for Van Smith's father, Roswell. Uh, wow. So they were adobe buildings and they functioned as everything like hospital, inn, courthouse, post office, two buildings. Um, and then in 1877, a guy by the name of Joseph Calloway Lee brought, bought up most of the land in the area. But it, it wasn't until 1890, so a few year, about 12 years later, 13 years later, an aquifer was discovered. And then the town really kind of started growing, and, and they got a railroad track in 1893. Yeah, an aquifer is like a natural water source. So this oh, is, cool. I mean, Roswell is in New Mexico, which is like a lot of desert, dry area. So it was, that was a big deal that they found some water. Um, and then within three years, they had a railroad, so they had grown substantially enough to build a railroad through the town. Wow, railroads. Hope you don't get your leg crushed. I'm looping our episodes together, connecting links. In the Anyways. 1930s, in the 1930s, Roswell, the Roswell area was the site of a lot of early rocketry work. Um, and there are museums and things devoted to early rocketry. Now, during World War II, uh, which is kind of like after the war is when we are really going to start seeing some UFO stuff. During World War II, German prisoners of war were housed nearby and used for manual labor. They And they used rocks to create the shape of an iron cross, um, which later became an MIA POW park, which you can visit today. Wow. Um, and it actually has a piece of the Berlin Wall there. Wow. That's really cool. So if you go to Roswell, um, take some time out from your uh, alien hunting and go to the POW MIA park and go see the Berlin Wall. It's pretty neat. Now, the reason why we're gonna, uh, Roswell was home to Walker Air Force Base from 1941 to 1967. So there, the Air Force Base is no longer functional. I think that some of the buildings and the buildings and things are still there. I think it's some kind of like a training academy or something now. Um, but it is no longer an Air Force Base. It hasn't been since 1967. So a hot but, minute. Yeah. So before we talk about what happened in Roswell, we need to talk about Project Mogul. Have you heard of Project Mogul? 
Project Mogul was a top-secret project that involved microphones uh, being flown on high-altitude balloons. So you had balloons with, like, super-sensitive microphones, and the goal was long-distance detection of sound waves from Soviet bombs. Mm -hmm. So, like, they really – Project Mogul, they wanted to see if the Soviets were testing bombs – and they figured the best way to do this was to attach... Just strap a microphone to a balloon and just let balloons. it go. <laughs> but just keep in mind, that's what Project Mogul was. Now, um, it was eventually scrapped because it was A, impractical, and B, very expensive. And also not, like, secret at all. Like, you would just look <laughs> up and you'd be like, is that a microphone attached to that <laughs> balloon? Well, I'm sure going to talk about all of my Soviet secrets right now. <laughs> So now we're going to talk about Mac Brazell. Mac Brazell was a rancher. Um, now, all of this, I say Roswell. Mac Brazell was actually from the Corona area, which is outside of Roswell. So, like, this whole area, uh, we're talking, it, it's a pretty big area. Because, again, it, there's a lot of desert there's a lot of space. If, if you've ever been out there, we took a trip out there uh, after we got married. It's not unusual to go like 100 miles between gas stations. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot of empty space. Yeah. Better make sure that tank yeah, is and full. And there are signs. In yeah. fact, we saw there was a gas station that was incredibly uh, gouging prices. It was like five bucks. Jesus. Now, this was in – Yeah. There, this was in 2004-ish. Um, I mean, they were, it was like five bucks for a gallon of gas because they, there literally was not another station within 75 or 100 miles. So if you were low on gas, you ha- that was it. You had to buy gas from them. So bear in mind, there's a lot of, a lot of area between towns. So when, when I say Roswell, I'm kind of lumping Roswell, Corona, that whole area sort of together. So Mac Brazell, his actual given name was William Ware Brazell. He was named for President William McKinley, which is where he got the nickname Mac. McKinley Mac. So uh, he was a rancher in 1947. He was 48. And he had a family that lived out a ways from him. So he lived on the ranch, but he had a wife and some kids. And he would go home and visit them, like, on the days that he had off or whatever. Uh, so in... And he was a, a really good guy. His family described him as an old-time cowboy, a man of few words, um, but the kind of guy whose word and handshake were his bond. Like, he did not he, – he's old school. Stand-up gentleman. Stand-up gent. Yeah. Yeah. He was a really good guy. Um, but on, on or around July 8th, Mac Brazell was out with his younger son, Vern, Vernon, uh, Vernon. who was about seven or eight at the time. And they found this wreckage in the desert. So Mac Brazell and his son, Vern, came across this wreckage in the desert. Um, he, Mac did the right thing, called the authorities, uh, and... The authorities, there was some discrepancy about what the, what the wreckage was. Initial reports said that it was a flying saucer. However, those claims were later redacted by the government, and they said that it was a weather balloon. Now, mind you, Project Mogul was going on during this time. So, could it have been one of the balloon microphones from Project Mogul. All I know is that. Aliens? That's not what I was going to say. All I know is that Mac Brazell was taken into military custody for about a week, kept away from his family, and when he got out of military custody, he refused to talk about that July 8th ever like he did not want to talk about it wow. he didn't bring it up to him um he didn't want to tell his family about it he just he kind of clammed up uh, if people would bring it up to him he would he would get kind of angry about it like he would just leave the room and just he and he acted different too so do you think do you think that's because like 
well, like, my initial response would be, like, okay, so, like, the government did something to him. Something happened to him to, like, make him be quiet about this whole situation. Or do you think that, like, because he was getting all this publicity for, like, finding this crash and he was such a man of few words that he was like, I, I just don't want to have that, like, publicity. I just don't want to be in the spotlight that way. That's a very good question. And it depends on really who you ask. Uh, because that's that's a legitimate question that, I mean, we really don't know. Um he because he didn't want to talk about it and he but he acted weird too like he was prone to sort of fits of anger he would not talk for a while like he would just kind of stare out into space silently and like not talk now Vern this the the kid he was like seven or eight when he was with his dad and they found this stuff Um, how old was he, he when they found it he was seven or eight oh wow so young so young. Um, and and part of it, too, the question is, Mac Brazell was very, I mean, he was a patriot. Like, he believed in his country. He loved his country. So was that part of it, too? Like, did the military do something to him? Did they threaten his family? Or did he just love, or was he a man of few words? He didn't want to talk about it. Or did the military tell him, you're not going to talk about it? And he was like, okay, I'm not going to talk about it. Just, yep, okay, no, not going to talk about it. So there's a lot of questions about that, but I will say that Vern, as he grew up, people did try to ask him about it a lot. They did talk to him about it a lot. He hated it. As soon as he was old enough, he skipped town, changed hmm. his name, wouldn't tell people where he was, uh, and shot himself in the head in his early 20s. Oh, no. So... He had some real issues with whatever happened as a result of he and his dad finding whatever it is that they found out in the New Mexico desert back in 1947. Now, um, I do, because I always have to bring everything back home, uh, the wreckage or whatever was found (laughs) in the New Mexico desert came here to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, and was possibly part of something called Project Blue Book. Now, Project Blue Book is uh, it is a legit program that what that happened here at Wright-Pat, um, and basically the point of Project Blue Book was to study unidentified flying objects. UFOs. Not alien. UFOs. Not, not alien spacecraft, necessarily. I'm aliens. But Project Blue Book went from 1947, which was when this thing happened in Roswell, until 1969, and when it shut down. The reason that it shut down was because they found that there was not enough evidence to substantiate any claims that there were anything, uh, that there was anything like basically untoward, anything that was, that couldn't be explained. Like there was no technology that we didn't already have. There's no proof of extraterrestrial anything. Uh, and so project blue book was shut down, but I will say that it is local lore that, uh, there are aliens in Hangar 18. Nobody nobody knows where Hangar 18 is or what's in Hangar 18. If there is a spaceship in Hangar 18. Probably there, aliens. There even is a Hangar 18. So so that's Roswell. Roswell is is the UFO capital of probably like the world, honestly. They have – Roswell has built their entire – town around Mac Brazel and the events of 1947 like there are all kinds of little UFO touristy things and like all it's just it's super kitschy and one day I really really hope to go out there because I want to I want to go to Roswell so bad I I I, okay I don't want to take a stand one way or another but I don't think it was a weather balloon it's possible that it was part of Project Mogul. That's what the government wants you to believe. So it's a question of how much do you trust the government? Not much. Exactly. So anyway, so that's Roswell. 
Yeah. So, uh, so the Russian sleep experiment is an urban legend, um, and it was conducted in the 1940s. Its code name was Orange Soda. Don't know why, just or- Orange Soda. I like it. Uh, but yeah, so it was conducted around World War II, and the idea was that they were going to do these sleep studies and try to see how long they could keep people awake, because the idea was that they wanted these like perfect soldiers that could stay awake for longer periods of time and like have more endurance. So they took five prisoners of war, and they took them and shut them in a chamber for 30 days, and they were going to keep them these guys awake for 30 days. Um, the only reason the prisoners agreed to do this was because they were promised freedom if they participated in the study. Which is a little fucked up. Okay, at the risk of ruining your story, I don't think that's scientifically possible without driving somebody completely out of their mind insane. Yeah. No, I agree. End of story. <laughs> they attempted to. They oh attempted to. That sounds horrific. Like, there's no... There's no ghost, there's no alien, there's no poltergeist, there's no demon that is more terrifying to me than being forced to stay awake for 30 30 straight days, yeah. I love sleep. (laughs) Like, it is my job to love sleep. I, I, there's no way, I couldn't do it. There's no way. So, um... So they put them into this uh, air. Oh, I should I should put a little caveat in before I keep going. Do you guys remember when I said Tommy Spearface was the worst thing I would ever talk about on this podcast? I'm going to go ahead and redact that. I think this episode this episode might take that just a slight trigger warning that I'm going to talk about some like pretty graphic stuff coming up. Just a slight to warn you guys. Um. If, if our listeners don't want to hear very, very graphic, gory things, then stop listening. All right. Just a warning. Anyways. So they took these five test subjects and they put them in this chamber that was um, completely airtight. Um, the only way that they could monitor the people inside were through microphones and these thick glass like porthole windows were the only way they could like monitor the people inside of this thing. Uh, so they sealed up the chamber and they pumped it full of this gas that had the stimuli in it that would, like, keep people awake. So the room was pumped full of this gas. So inside this, uh, this chamber was also five months' stock of books, cots, dried food, and running water. So they, they could survive. They were totally fine. They had stuff to keep them entertained. They had food. They had, a, like, a way to relax. They couldn't sleep, but they could at least lay down on the cots. Um, they had running water. So, like, these guys were going to be fine. They just couldn't sleep. It's not fine. Yeah, no, it's not fine. It's kind of a dick move. And <laughs> uh, books, like, that's all they had were cots and books. How are it you was, not supposed to go to sleep with cots and books? It, it was the 40s, so, like, they couldn't really give them, like, iPhones to play with. So it was kind of like, here's some books. But even still, like, you could give them knitting. You could <laughs> give them playing cards. You could give them, like, any th- books. Books. You want to go to sleep, you give somebody a bed and a book. <laughs> so for the first five days of the experiment, everything was fine. Um, the subjects didn't complain because they were afraid if they would, it would deter the scientists from freeing them after the experiment. So they were like, yep, nope, everything's totally fine. Everything's cool. Um, and over time, the scientists realized that the like uh, test subjects' conversations were becoming increasingly more uh intense and more emotional and so they started progressively talking about like dark traumatic things that happened in their childhood and they started getting like more and more emotional and close with each other and then on a dime they flipped and they all became super paranoid and didn't trust each other and the room went like from being incredibly close and emotional to incredibly isolated um And they started, so remember how I said they were, like, monitoring the room through microphones? They started going up to the microphones and whispering into them dark (gasps) secrets about the other, like, other prisoners. No. So this was thought to be a reaction to the gas causing them paranoia. Or, you know, just not having sleep. For five days. We're five days in, yeah. 
So it went like that. So like then they all get super paranoid and it goes like that until day nine. On day nine, one of the test subjects just stands up middle of the room and just starts screaming for three hours. He screamed for so long he lost his voice And it was later discovered that he screamed so hard that he tore his own vocal cords and just kept screaming through the pain. Oh, my gosh. While he was screaming, the other four test subjects took the books, ripped all of the pieces of paper out of them, smeared them with their own feces and plastered them on the port windows so the scientists couldn't look into the building, like into the chamber anymore. Oh, my gosh. Oh, also very important fact is they calmly did that. They calmly took these shit smeared pieces of paper and put them over the windows. Well, one of their person like was just screaming his head off. So the exact second that the last window was covered at that exact moment, the screaming stopped and there was silence in the chamber for the next three days. And when I say silence, I mean, like, they didn't hear anything. They didn't hear rustling or throat clearing or anything. And, like, the researchers checked the mics. Nothing was wrong with them. There was just a, not a single sound from this room of five people in it for three days straight. But Oh, this is making my skin crawl. Well, the oxygen consumption of the chamber showed that, like, all five test subjects were still alive and actually consuming oxygen uh, that showed signs of, like, severe stress or, like, heavy exercise. So, like, they were, like, consuming too much oxygen. What was that? But they couldn't hear them breathing. But they couldn't hear them breathing. Oh, my. Oh. This is some really. I'm going to have nightmares about this tonight. So the researchers decided to test the microphones. So they, so this is day 14, by the way. So we're, we're to day 14 of this test experiment. Um, so we're halfway done. What? So like almost halfway. Um, so they decide that they're going to like go in and they're going to test the microphones to make sure there's nothing wrong with them from the other side. Um, cause they haven't heard anything from these people. Um, so they like intercom into the room and they say, uh, I quote, we are opening the chamber to test the microphones, step away from the door and lie down on the floor or you will be shot. Compliance, uh, compliance will earn you immediate freedom. They heard one voice reply back in a eerily calm manner. And he replied, we no longer want to be free. Whoa. And that was the first thing they had heard for three days. And then the radio, like it went silent for another 24 hours. So they know the mic's working. So they don't have to go in now because they know it's working. Oh my God. How? So I, (sighs) scientists are naturally curious. How do you not go in there? How in the world do you have that much self-control to not open that door and see what is going on in there? So the next day, day 15, they decide to open the door because scientists are curious. (laughs) So day 15, they open up the door and they suck all of the gas out of the room um, and fill it with fresh air. Immediately, all the test subjects began screaming and begging for the gas to be turned back on. Whoa. So the guards come in. And they saw four out of the five prisoners were still alive. One was dead. Um, The stock of food looked like it had been barely touched for 15 days. And all right, just this is the. mm. Uh, The dead test subject had chunks of meat from his thighs and chest ripped out of him and stuffed into the drain so that they were like waiting around in bloody water. The other test subjects also had large chunks of muscle and skin ripped off of them. They had exposed bones on their fingers, suggesting that the injuries were self-inflicted and by their own hands, which means that they didn't like bite into themselves. They literally like took their own hands and ripped into their own flesh hard enough to like expose the bones on their fingertips. Oh my gosh. 
While the important organs, like the heart and the lungs, were still intact, the muscles surrounding the ribs had been ripped off, exposing the lungs through the rib cage. So you could, like, see the lungs through their rib cages. The, wait, these are the alive guys? These are the alive guys. Whoa. Um, their other organs had been taken out of their bodies and were laid around them on the floor. They were all still intact and still working. Like there was like one part that was talking about like the digestion, like digest, words, digestive tract of this one like test subject was working. They like watched it work. Uh. Yeah. Um, but they stood there and kept screaming to be left in the chamber for the, and for the gas to be turned back on. That was the only thing they said. They just wanted the gas to be turned back on. So the researchers decided to take them to the hospital. <laughs> um, I think we need to check on some a few things. Um, so one of uh, during the like during them taking the test subjects out of the chamber, uh, they like fought very violently to be left in the chamber, and they killed two of the guards in the process. Whoa! With their organs exposed, exposed. Yeah. So one of the guards had his throat ripped out. The other guard had his testicles ripped off and an artery in his leg was bitten so badly it severed. All right. You're calling BS on aliens. I'm calling BS on the Russians. So one of the test subjects did die during the fight um, due to his spleen rupturing um, and him bleeding out, which like is going to happen when you just have your organs laying on the floor. It's just, it's going to happen there. Um, So the medical researchers attempted to sedate the subjects and they were injected with three times more than the average dose of sedation. Um, And these people were still able to break a doctor's rib, like ribs and arm. They were still able to fight back through all of the sedation and like still continuing to be like just begging for the gas to be turned back on, like uh, turned back on. Um, but they finally get them to the hospital and the most injured of the surviving three had his, uh, was taken to have his organs placed back in his body. Cause that's where they should be. Let's just tuck those back in. Um, but he apparently was, uh, he'd become immune to this like sedative and he died on the table before they could perform surgery on him. Um, he, uh, they later found out that his blood had triple the amount of like normal oxygen in it. Huh? That's a weird thing. Yeah. So the test subjects who had torn his vocal cords, you remember the guy who was screaming for so long? Um, He was also immune to the sedative, but because he couldn't, like, not give his, he couldn't talk. So he, like, couldn't give his consent and he couldn't not give his consent. They just performed the surgery on him without anesthesia or painkillers while he was awake. Well, I mean, he had his guts hanging out. Probably... He's probably one already, of, he's like in shock. Yeah. Well, one of the nurses said that, uh, like during the six hour procedure while they were putting the, like his organs back in several times, he like smiled during the procedure. Um, and when the surgery was over the surgeon, um, he like, uh, the guy like tried to talk, but he still couldn't. And so like the surgeon gave him a pen to like write down what he was trying to communicate. And he wrote down, keep cutting. Ooh. Um, it was impossible to operate on the last one because he kept laughing hysterically the entire time. Yeah. So he just died? No. Um, so of the five test subjects, two are still alive. Um, one of them, they, when they opened the chamber, they found him dead there. One of them died in the fight to take them to the hospital. One of them died on the table, but two of them are still alive. So two of the test subjects are still okay. Um, and they asked Like now they're alive? Like today in 2019, they're alive? This was in the forties. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, but the 
researchers asked these two um, separately why they had injured themselves and why they wanted the gas to be turned on. And all they said, they said it the exact same way. They said, I must remain awake. That's some hardcore, like, I don't even know. I don't even have anything to follow that up with. Well, we're not done. Woo! Because the experiment was militarily funded and the government benefactors demanded results since the 30 days were not completed. So they put the two remaining test subjects back in the fucking experiment. And? And they, uh, uh, in preparation for putting them back, they fitted both of them with like EEG monitors so they could read their brain waves um, and had very strong restraints fastened to them, preventing them from like moving for the rest of the experiment. So they just had to sit there and be awake. Gosh, did they put the gas in? I wonder if they, <laughs> I wonder if they did they pump the gas in, I wonder. So Ugh. the EGs were normal for most of the time while so like they put them back in the test chamber and they start pumping the gas back in. So the EGs are pretty normal, except they would like randomly flatline and then come back to normal. And it was like almost I have a quote that said it was uh, it, uh sorry. It was as if they were repeatedly suffering from brain death. Before returning to normal. So their their brains shut down and their brains went to sleep. Yeah. They had to. So one of the test subjects did actually fall asleep because they had been removed from the gas and then put back in. And he like when he fell asleep, he immediately flatlined and died. Yeah. So the last remaining survivor, um, the last test subject, began screaming and nearly broke free of his restraints, which was, like, very impressive considering he just had all of his organs outside of his body and had these, like, really heavy-duty restraints. And so clearly the researchers, like, didn't understand because they were like, how do you have this much strength? How do you have this ability to fight back about this? So he runs, like, one of the guards runs into the test subject, or, sorry, he runs into the room and he looks at the test subject, like, pulling out his gun and pointing it at the test subject. And he says, what are you I must know? The subject stopped fighting, began to smile, and said, and I quote, Have you forgotten so easily? We are you. We are the madness that lurks within you all, begging to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. We are what you hide from in your beds at night. We are what you sedate into silence and uh, and paralysis when you go to the nocturnal haven which we cannot tread. The subject then lunged at the guard who shot him in the head and ended the test subject, or ended the experiment. And as the test subject died, he laughed and said, so nearly free. This is one of our heebie-jeebiest episodes ever. So, I'm going to be honest with you guys and break the facade. This is a creepypasta. Do you guys know what those are? Yes. (laughs) We don't know. It could be real. But it is a creepypasta and is one of, like, the most famous creepypastas. And it's one of my favorites. Of course it is. My story was real. It could be real. Who says there aren't sleep experiments like this? Oh, I I totally would believe the sleep experiment part. But you're right. Like, so... um, There are many reasons why this isn't logical and why it couldn't work. Like, there are no actual records of this experiment. Uh, The cost to create something this elaborate would be, like, way too expensive to justify during wartime. Um, Like, medically speaking, like you said, like, it's impossible for the subjects to survive as long as they did. Um, Like, you would have just bled out. Like, that's what what would happen. Oh, yeah. Um. And then, like, there was another interesting thing was, like, when you have, like, gas-based drugs, um, your body, like, gets used to it over time. So it wouldn't have gotten stronger over time. They would have, like, just gotten used to it and immune to the gas itself because that's how bodies react. Yeah, so an actual, like, actual real thing kind of related to that. My grandmother, um, who I was very, very close with, had... um, congestive heart failure and when she died she was operating her body was regularly operating at 30 percent oxygenation Hmm. like she was regular like up and moving totally normal 
only getting 30% of what the human body needs to survive. Wow. Because over time, like she had just, her body, she had just gotten, you know, her, she'd been a lifelong smoker. Yeah. Her body just adapted and got used to only working at 30% oxygenation. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was crazy. So the story was so yeah the, it's that part of it like your body the human body is crazy it's so adaptable crazy. yeah um but yeah so this creepy pasta is one of the most popular like I said it was uh, written by a young woman named Holly Ice um and she basically did her own experiment with this creepy pasta so it's an experiment within an experiment um and it is what the experiment is what makes a creepy pasta go viral. Um, so if any of our listeners oh, don't know, creepy pastas are basically our generation's version of like campfire stories. Um, they are stories that are on the internet that go popular and they're these like weird cryptic stories that you don't know if they're real or not. Most of them are fake, but some of them could be real. So like Slenderman is one, uh, like Momo is one, Jeff the Killer, Smiling Dog, like all of those are all creepy pastas. Um, but her theory was that to make a creepypasta go viral, there are seven things that go into any creepypasta. Unexplained phenomena, first-person narratives, monsters or supernatural beings, cliffhangers, murder, creepy images, and creepy videos. So her theory was if you take exactly four, no more, no less, exactly four of those, that's what's going to make your story go viral. So she did unexplained phenomenon, murder, monsters slash supernatural beings, and creepy images. Because if you look up the story online, it has these, like, weird, creepy, like, semi-authentic photos that, like, are supposed to go along with the experiment, and they're terrifying. Mm. So, yeah. So, it's, you're, like, it's most likely not real. But, like, part of me kind of wants to think it's real because it's fascinating. Um, Yeah. But, yeah. And the thing about creepypastas, too, is that they start out as not real, but they can very easily become real. Reference the Slenderman killings. Like, Slenderman is a creepypasta. It's a ghost story, like, typical, you know, haunted, scary guy story. But then there were two teen girls that a few years ago, they were, like, 12 and 13. Yeah said that slender man told them to kill this girl and they legit killed a girl like you i mean this was a real they actually stood trial and oh yeah and, yeah um so eventually like things do come into they do they do have real world repercussions but yeah my last uh, my last bullet point is uh the so the person who held the like world's longest like the guinness world record for like longest amount of time going with no sleep was this high school student named randy gardner and he stayed awake for 11 days um however (laughs) he didn't legitimize the records before he did this experiment and never fill out like filled out any paperwork so no one officially observed it and he was too tired by the end to like finish and clock out of the experiment so it didn't count and he was dethroned by a woman named Maureen who lived in England who stayed awake for 18 days and 17 hours during a rocking chair marathon. That takes skill. I have that no is idea. Hardcore and she skill. will never be beaten because Guinness has taken that like record away because it's so fucking dangerous to stay along like awake that long. Yeah. How do you stay awake for 18 days in a rocking chair? In a fucking rocking chair. Give that girl a book. (laughs) But yeah, no, creepypastas are so fascinating to me. Because you're right. Like, they do gain, like, livelihood, basically. Like, they gain popularity. And, like, there always is a theory that, like, the reason why spirits are strong is because, like, you believe in them, you give them faith, you give them power by believing in them, which is why, like, skeptics don't experience things because they don't believe in them, they don't fear them. So it doesn't affect you because it only affects you if you put faith into it. Um, yeah. So it's just so well, fascinating. Mile 13, blurring the line between fact and fiction. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's the funny thing is I knew I wanted to cover this story. It's my favorite story, but I like didn't know when I could do it because like it's not someplace you can go see, but you can go look up like you can look up the story online. You can see all these videos about it. It's something you can still do and interact with. So I knew I wanted to cover it, but I was like, where the fuck am I going to put in a Russian like underground experiment in the middle of our haunted podcast? It totally fits. It totally fits. Also, a word of warning. If you go looking for creepy pastas, prepare to fall down the rabbit hole because it's a rabbit hole, guys, it's, and it's gonna fuck you up. It, I am pretty like, used once to you scary start, stories. Yeah. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you. No, go ahead. Once you start looking, you're just done. Yeah, I am really used to scary stories and like cryptid images and stuff like that, and it freaks me out. Like sometimes I'll be like going through creepy pastas. I'm like, I need to stop because I need to be able to sleep tonight. Like. <laughs> I would think for Casper, it's probably, like, job training. <laughs> like, you need to get ideas for your haunt. Go to Creepypastas. Just go to the Creepypastas. Yeah. <sighs> All right. So there we go. Yeah. If you would like to share thoughts, opinions, ideas, aliens, check us your out. Your plans um, for infiltrating Area 51. Yep. yep. Ideas for creating my Fennec Scorpion box. Oh, thing. yeah. Send in your designs for uh, that. Uh, email us mile13show at gmail.com check us out on the Instagram and the Facebook and again go check out Strange Creatures you can find them on Amazon Music and Google Play and all of the iTunes and all of the things yeah alright that's all we got bye see you next time